All right, all right. We got another Hoops adjacent. David Aldridge here in D.C. Now, the most important thing, we got a Hall of Famer with us, Chris Mullen, who's with us. But Mullen, this has been a, we've been asking this for the last couple of weeks. What is Marcus's room like in Vegas? Because he, was, he wasn't feeling the room situation when they told him where he was staying. So uh, how is it? How's the room? Bro, I'm staying at basically the, What's up, Marcus? I'm at the day's end, Mully. It's all bad out here. <laughs> hey, what you got? Bang, 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 90 gang, baby. Let's go. Uh, they, got, they, got, they, got, they got us down bad, Mully. Mully, I remember staying in Turtle Bay. You know what I'm saying? You raised me at Turtle Bay in Hawaii. Good old days. Now look at me. <laughs> man, you got the you got the triple you guys, lock on man. the door there, Marcus. Yeah, man. It's it's all bad out here. It's going down though. Now it's getting crazy. People starting to file in. It's on. It is oh, on. Yeah, no, no. The next two nights, the next two nights are insane. They're insane, man. Right, you yeah. might want to put a helmet on for the next two nights. You know, you know what I'm saying? Man, I, you couldn't drag me to a Super Bowl. I've done four of them. That's plenty. I'm done. No. <laughs> I'll need to do this no more. That shit is crazy. It's crazy, man. And in Vegas? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> man, man. Well, look, we'll, I want to get to our, our great guest, Chris Mullen. Man, I, Mully, I can't thank you enough for jumping on, man. This is This is an honor to talk to you again, man, after all this time. It's good to see you. Uh, it's my pleasure, David. We go so far back. Marcus, my pleasure to see you, man. So it's always great seeing you at the games. But, but um, yeah, it's my pleasure, man. It uh, brings back great memories, and you guys uh, have always been trusted friends, and you both do great work. So it's my pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm glad so to see you doing all I right, by the way. First of you, you people was like people right. was like man where is you know Bully took like a what how were you how long were you out people was like man where is Bully what is he doing took off a few weeks over the holidays man it's all good I'm, I'm <laughs> you, you too you too important to these streets little, hey, little, little load little load management <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> you got that right Molly man I wanted to ask you like all-star this year is in Indy. You obviously did work with the Pacers back in the day, man. And I've I always wondered, I've talked to Reggie about this to be sure as well, but just what playing basketball in Indiana is like mm. because we all know how crazy that state is about hoop. Yeah, DA, very, very unique place for an NBA franchise. And, and as you guys know, originally an ABA franchise, but yeah. basketball, crazy state between IU, uh, you got Purdue, uh, Butler, all these incredible college schools. And then, of course, the Pacers have their own unique uh, fan base there. So it's, it's a great place to play. The three years I was there, David, as you remember, Larry Bird was the head coach. He's the sure. ultimate Hoosier, right? So Mysteri yep, yep. was, was running rampant, and Reggie was in the prime of his career. So in my three years there, we had an incredible run. Went to two Eastern Conference Finals. And then one NBA, one NBA Finals. So uh, it was a great time. That organization, um, you know, run by the Simon family. Yeah. Many years, Donnie Walsh was their their main guy running the organization. Just just class personified. And uh, it's going to be a great weekend there. Great celebration of basketball and Indiana's rich tradition there. And, um, yeah, so it's it's a special place to me. I got fond memories there. And, uh yeah, so I, I'm going to be watching. I won't be there in person, but uh, I'll be watching uh, 
little attention on, on Indiana for All-Star Weekend. Man, what what was Bird like as a coach, man? Because I, he just seemed so chill at the time, and I'm sure he was. I'm sure that competitiveness jumped out at certain points. But what was he like? Well, much like the way Larry played, um, incredible intensity, uh, attention to detail, hard work, yeah, discipline, tremendous focus. And then go out there and let it flow. So it was that, that, that combination of, you know, you prepare yourself, you take it real serious, but then you, when you're all prepared, you go out there and just, and just go ball. And Larry, you know, he was an incredibly successful coach. He only did it for three years. As right. I just mentioned, two Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals. That was his plan from the start, to coach three years. And he stuck to it. Could still be coaching. Because that's yes. how great a coach he was. Yes. And also, and David, you remember this. And Marcus, you probably, yeah, you remember. What Larry did was he surrounded himself with two great assistant oh, yeah. coaches. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Rick Carlisle, who's the yep. head coach now, was in charge of the offense. Right. Dick Harder, right. longtime defensive specialist for many, many head coaches. He worked with Pat Riley. Uh, he was a head coach in Charlotte when they were expansion yep. team. Yep. And he empowered them. But don't make no mistake about it, Larry was in charge. He knew exactly what he wanted on the offensive end. He knew exactly the defense we played. Uh, and old school, Larry really was into practice. We would practice hard for two hours. We'd have an hour and 20-minute shoot-around yeah. um, and prepare for everything. I, you know, when I coached at St. John's, I took a lot of stuff from Larry. You know, Larry was one of those guys. One of his philosophies was, I'm not going to have you do anything that I didn't like as a player or didn't work for me. Yeah. So film, but not too much film. Right. Prep preparation and go play. Uh, so he had a really good feel, I thought. And it was a time when, you know, maybe Rick was in the in, in the timeout diagramming plays and people said, well, Larry's not doing anything. No, Larry knew exactly what he was doing. We had worked on that, but Rick was a better drawer maybe. So just right. draw the play up, dude. We, we're, we're running two down. Go run the play. Right. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> You know, his halftime, his halftime talks were, hey, man, I'm going to give you stars five more minutes. If you don't, don't get it going, I'm taking you out. Like, let's go. Let's play. So I love playing for Larry. We had a great veteran team, uh, very successful. So it was a lot of fun. Obviously, one of, my, one of the guys I looked up to when I was in college, obviously, Matt, Magic and Larry was right, yeah, right above yeah, me. Yeah. So those are the guys I looked up to. So to get a chance to play with him on the Dream Team and then play for him with Indiana, uh, Looking back, when the when the great experiences in my basketball career. Now, now, Mother, you know this. I've always I've always said this about you, uh, Larry, too. Like, you were one of the 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 white basketball players that black people loved. Larry Bird was one of those too. Like, man, you 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 just transcended like the barriers. And and, and, and you know, eighties, early nineties, that was that was a thing. But man, I remember in the hood, we used to love you. Like everybody was like, loved you, Larry Bird. Ultimate respect. What is that like for you everywhere you go and in this circle? Like you've always had the cloud. Obviously, Mitch and Tim were your guys, but I don't know anybody who don't, you know what I'm saying, who don't rock with you. That, that's got to be something for you to have that like ultimate respect across every barrier, every age, every culture, every ethnicity, every hood. That, that's that's got to mean a lot, right? Mm. Well, Marcus, that's that's the ultimate compliment. Uh, first and foremost, to have that respect from your peers and and more importantly, your opponents, the people you play against. You know, I was always taught 
and Dave remembers my college coach, Lou Karnasekar. Um, it's one thing for you to say it. It's another thing for your opponent to say it, right? So he used to say, don't toot your own horn. Don't, don't wear a big hat, you know? So do enough where your opponent says, man, that guy's nasty. So that was always back in the day, you know, pre uh, building your brand, you know, get your opponent's attention. So anyway, but, you know, I give a lot of that credit to where my first and foremost, my parents, yeah, my upbringing in yep. Brooklyn. Uh, my mom and dad encouraged me to go to anywhere to go play and play with anybody, you know. Um, so at 14, I was taking the train up to Harlem from Brooklyn. And my parents had total confidence. And so they encouraged that. Uh, and then, you know, growing up in New York City, going, going to high school in Manhattan, college in Queens, playing all over every borough. Uh, you know, I, that was probably the best education I got in my life because it opened up my eyes to um, different cultures, uh, different family um, backgrounds. You know, I was blessed enough to have mom and dad at home when I came up from school. All my friends didn't. And I saw that at a young age. And I appreciated yeah. what I had and also had empathy for maybe some things that people didn't have. I saw the difference. Um, but then from, the, from a basketball standpoint, it's the ultimate accomplishment. And, and back then, I would say, Marcus, especially in high school, it was a daily reprieve. Like if you had a great game on Friday – that had nothing to do with Saturday. It didn't have a long – you had to go do it right. again, you know. And not, not, nope. to, not only to gain your reputation, your reputation, but to be invited back. If you were a bum, they right. say, oh, dude, don't come back tomorrow. So um, that, that is invaluable to me. Um, looking back on my, on my basketball career, those young years uh, of trying to prove yourself each and every day, and then being and playing against some of the great talent that I was able to play against, whether it be in New York, in DC, Boston, um, and and you know it's funny back then. A lot of in my memories are I just remember from maybe as soon as the weather changed, we only played outside. We didn't go back right. to the gym until school started, which was fun. It was almost like, not a different sport, but it was a whole different uh, style of play. vibe, sure. But, but your point, Marcus, is it's, it's, the, it's the greatest feeling you can have as an athlete, is to prove yourself, be um, respected for your play. And, and, and we all know sports has always broken oh, yeah. down barriers. Like I said, so when I, went, when I went up to Harlem, it was could you play or not? Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. yeah. And I might have been the only white guy on the court, but if I could play, it didn't matter. Right. So right. that to me was, was a big time um, barrier to overcome, but also it was, a, it was a big teaching tool for me that that's what mattered. All the other stuff doesn't matter. And what it also shows you is a lot what we have in common as opposed to how different Yeah, I'm are, telling you, DA, right? y'all know DA so, in the Bay. It was it was it was run TMC right, but we was literally in Sabrani Park. I mean the the biggest hood <laughs> in East Oakland, like the the epicenter of the crack epidemic, right. and all these kids in the hood is shooting left hand, screaming Mullen, Mullen as we shoot. Like it, it, it's it's a wild thought in hindsight, but we were out there. Like I got a lefty free throw jumper now. Of course, it, it, it's the the social Absolutely. impact of that. Like 
when you grow up and you realize you get out, you'd be like, yo, that was really crazy. Like we were out here like riding Plus, with mullet a, in the hood. Such a, like, <laughs> it was great. It's such a great name. Oh, it's it's such a great it's name perfect. for basketball. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> and then the lefty is so pretty. It's so pretty. Like, yeah. Right? We're all one. <laughs> and then Mark, you brought, you know, you can't without without mentioning Tim, you know, that that's not the complete story. So and then you you look at Mitch from Florida. You know, much different upbringing than me. We became best friends. Tim Hardaway from the streets of Chicago. Yep. You know, very different than Mitch and I. Different personality, but we're yeah. we're, we're linked yeah. together forever. And we were we were brought together by basketball, but we became brothers by experiencing different things over our careers. We're we're close today as we were when we played together. I mean, we only played two years together, believe it or not. It's crazy. I can't it's believe so wild, that. Right? But, but that shows yeah. you the 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 path. <laughs> The power, the power of basketball and being teammates, how much more it means than just points, wins, and losses. So that that just shows you, like, like from a cultural standpoint, you know, sports in general they break down barriers and they can really, you can get to know the the person, you know, beyond um, yeah. the other things. So that's always been a beautiful thing to me about the about the game of basketball is, you know, breaking down barriers and and really getting to the core of what really matters in life. So, Molly, I had, I wanted to ask you, man, like, I always ask New York folks, give me the legend that you played against that nobody remembers. And people always talk about Jojo Destroyer or Herman Helicopter or some of them. Who was the guy with 4th Street, wherever you were at? And you just went, this is a bad motherfucker right here. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you have mentioned Joe Hammond. You know, yeah. Joe Hammond, Pee Wee Kirkland, um, Herman the Helicopter. All those guys were... Rucker Park guys before Rucker yeah. Park was, you know, on TV. We used to play Rucker Park when I was a kid was was a regular stop on the summer tour. It wasn't, right. you know, wasn't on TV and things like that. But it was uh, just like one of the, the Rucker tournament. That was what it was. And we played yeah. that. I played in that probably about 15, 16, 17. Right. Um, I, but I played, I played at Riverside Church, which is up in, uh, right by Columbia sure. University. I played sure. with some incredible players there. Um, some of the most talented guys I've ever seen in my life. One, one whose son's playing now, you guys, Gary Springer, mm. was the number number one high school player in the country yep. uh, from Benjamin Franklin High School. He wound up going to Iona College, believe it or not, at that point in time, for play for Pat Kennedy. He was an incredible high school player. Wound up hurting his knee, and back then, when you hurt your knee back then, it was somewhat career-ending. You were done, yep. Uh, um, his son Jaden was playing for the Sixers. I think he was traded to Celtics yesterday. That's that's right. that's Gary's right. son. That's Gary Springer's uh, son. I didn't know they just played the Warriors the other day. Yeah, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's Gary Springer's son. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it, and I could go on and on. Um, I mean, we we had guys that I played with. Say when I was fifteen. I'm talking about power dunking in the park, like nasty. Yep. And then they wouldn't show up the next week. And I'd be like, yo, where's, you know, where's, where's Spider? Life. Like, <laughs> Life got in the way. <laughs> uh, I think he robbed a bank last week. Like, all right, he might not be here for a little while. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, you know, that, that Riverside Church team I was telling you about was um, that, that it was probably 12 or 15 guys on that team. Seven of them went to Iona. Right. 
right? Pat Kenley recruited. Pat Pat sure. was a local guy, great guy. Uh, no, but Pat, Kenny. Well, I don't know if yeah. Kenny Kenny Eggman William, remember oh, Kenny Williamson? Eggman, yes, 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 Eggman. Eggman. Yeah. So Eggman was our coach, and he was he was a piece of work. Dude. He Eggman. might have worked for the he was working for the Charlotte Hornets for a while. Right, right, he, right, right, right. I, actually, I think he was the Bobcats when he was working there. But oh, what man. a great guy! What a great guy! So he was the master recruiter. So he took <laughs> he took six of our guys right to Iona. It was right, amazing. Right, 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 right. Steve, uh, Steve Burt. Steve Burt was a hell sure. of a player. Incredible yes, he player. Yes, he was. Uh, Rory sure. Grimes, Troy Truesdale, all these guys who I played with, they all went to Iona together. Um, right, right. So th- these guys were incredible basketball players. Um, you know, when I, when I was with uh, Pearl Washington, Mark Jackson, Kenny sure. Smith, uh, just uh, Pearl, you know, I said Pearl, just uh, Jerry Reynolds, Ice Reynolds, Ed yes. Pickney. Yes. All these guys, we're all on the same team, you know, and it, it just was a, a great time to, to grow up. Like I said, we we just went to the park and, you know, you had eight, nine pros playing together. You right. didn't know at the time, obviously, but you knew they were nasty. Right. You know, these guys had size and length. And, um, and that's all we did. We'd play all day long, play three, four games a day, jump on the train, go to another park. And um, so those those experiences was invaluable and, and you know, like you know, at this point, it's just just great memories. You know, we see each other, we text each other, and like you would talk about, you're going to talk to Oscar later. You know, yeah. So, and it's funny how the game does change, you know, right. subtly, but feels like we've seen these things before. Yes. Maybe we didn't talk, <laughs> we didn't talk about them as much. Right, 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 right. Yes. Yeah, we've seen it. Yes. We've seen a six-five guard have a triple double before. We've yeah, seen that right. before. <laughs> it's not, and good. that's how we learn. And that's how yeah. we learn. That's why the game grows, right? You you yeah. played on the yeah. arguably the greatest team of all time. Uh, I can make it's not arguably. I, I know, right? I was I was trying to throw. It's definitely not arguably. Uh, I, I would love to hear the story about a time you were cooking somebody. I'm sure you cooked George or somebody. What was the practices like? I know you. You don't stop running. You never miss. Did Did you get off in Dream Team practice? Did you Did you get a chance to get a legendary story in there? Yeah, I mean, the practices were legendary, no question about it. Uh, obviously, everyone knows the legendary players on that roster, all legends of the game. Um, but really, what? You know, what really dominated the practice were Magic and Michael. That, that was the tug of war. Magic had been on top of the, you know, basketball world. Michael was there at that point in time. He was the greatest player in the world in his prime. But Magic was not just going to hand it over to Michael without a little, without a little you know, tussle. So right. that, that one practice in Monte Carlo, the legendary one we all hear about, was, was a lot of fun. It was... Uh, you know, probably the greatest game never seen. The funny part I remember was Michael and Magic were getting, you know, talking back and forth, um, going at it and on the court, talking junk. And, you know, it was, it was funny and, and intense. Larry, Larry at the time had a bad back, so he really wasn't playing that much. And I remember him sitting on the side, you know, had like a heat back on his back. And I remember looking over and he just shaking his head like, it's over, dude. All right, Leave it alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had our day in the sun, man. Right. He's he's the man. Um, yeah, but much like I talked about early growing up, th- th- that from a my professional career, 
the greatest experience, the, the best accomplishment of my career to, to be named to that team. And then that magical summer, you know, going to Portland, you know, to qualify in, that, in the uh, Tournament of Americas, regrouping, going, you know, from New York to Monte Carlo for a training camp, and then on to Barcelona. And look, there's been great, great teams since then, but that was the original, right? So you can, that's, that's what makes it special. Um, yeah, so, and then the other thing too is that you think about it, that, that team that was put together, every player was already established on not, not only who they were, their careers were established. So there was no, besides the, the, the with Michael and Magic, and that, that never carried on to the, to the, you know, to the real court. Everyone's very situated and comfortable in their careers. And pretty much after one practice, it became a team. Yeah. You know, so that, that was, that was great. That was, that was an incredible experience. And, you know, I, I see guys talk about that. You talk about Michael and magic and Larry, guys with, you know, numerous accomplishments, team accomplishments, championships, even to them, that was a huge, you know, one of the best experiences of their careers. It was the best summer of my life, Mully. It was the best summer yeah. of my life following y'all around. It was just, we were in Portland for a month because the Blazers yeah. made the finals and then the draft was in Portland and then the Tournament of America was in Portland. So I was in Portland for five weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. It was just, yeah. and then going down to San Diego for, it was just, it was, it was yeah. amazing. I was, it was an honor to cover it. And Marcus, this is my favorite, one of my favorite stats of all time. In the Olympic Games, Chris Mullen shot 75% on threes. He shot 75%. He was 15 of 20 on threes. That's one game now. Right? He shot Steph does that on one night now. For the whole Olympics. That's why they bought me there. <laughs> Hey, he wasn't was missing the magic assist. <laughs> you can't miss the right? magic passes. Uh, talk, talk about being wide open. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> oh, of course, of course, man. So, yeah. man, the game, I know, I look, I tell people I don't hate the game today. I like the game today. It's fine. The skill level is unbelievable. Guys can make shots. Everybody can shoot it deep. I don't begrudge them any of it. I don't. I just think the game's a little tiny, teeny bit out of balance. And I just wish they would let people try to guard people. That's all. You may not be able to, but if you could just let them try to guard people without being called for a foul, I think the game would be so much better because the great players are going to be great in every era, in any era, whether it's defensive, offensive, low post, three-pointer, they're always going to be great. So you're not going to stop the great players from being great, but if everybody can score 40, what's the value in scoring 40? Yeah, I, I think David, the key word, and we, you know, I, I do the Warriors post uh, pre and post game here for NBC Sports Bay Area, and really, you know, we come up before the game a lot, you know, trying to change the keys around with the Warriors. It's, it's a lot of the same because they turn the ball over, defense yeah. without fouling. But recently, and it's not recently, but we've been talking about the balance of attack on offense, right? You know, and obviously Steph and Clay, they're gonna they're gonna shoot threes and but everyone else, since that's covered, needs to do the other things. And now they're starting to play much better basketball. In turn, Jonathan Kaminga, Andrew Wiggins, Pajemp, they're attacking the paint. 
attack the, the paint. You know, we played small ball with Nelly, you know, 35 years ago. And even back, Nelly was like, look, I'm playing small to spread the floor to drive the ball, not right. to spread the floor to, to launch threes. Right. If I have a, if I have a mismatch where Tim Hardaway's got a center, he's driving that guy 100% of the time. I don't want you sizing him up and shooting a three. I want you to drive that ball, get by him, and then create something else. Put them right. in full, uh, full scramble mode. So the balance of attack, right? The number of threes to the number of twos and mixing some free throws. But with that, that means your defense has to adjust accordingly. Now, this day and age, with almost every team has two corner three-point shooters, right? That's a lot of half-court right. offense. I mean, like, like, right. That puts those two defenders on the box. Now, most teams have a high pick and roll. Now, you got boxes and elbows. You almost have a, a zone look. Right. Now, I understand that the, the, that means you got to cover more space, but to me, you've got to live with, if it's not step play, Damian Lillard, there's a lot of guys that will miss those shots. So to me, there's almost an overreaction right, right. to getting out to every three-point shooter. I understand when the great ones, yeah, you don't want three points to kill you. But there's a lot of people shooting in the low 30s that I see an overreaction to. So whether it be... Uh, attention to detail, scouting report, sending guys left and right. I see a lot of fundamental, and I was not a great defender, but I knew the scouting report. I could be a good team defender. If I was guarding someone, right. if he couldn't go left, he was, he was not getting middle, I was going to send him baseline. I knew there was going to be help there. Right. Um, so I, I think we see it more in the playoffs. During the regular season, it, especially this last month, it gets a little monotonous. You see a lot more threes being casted up. Um, but I do think the playoffs, we see much, much more intense focus. Yes, yes. The dog days between now and the All-Star break, it gets a little funky. But I would agree, the amount of threes is a little extreme, um, which kind of throws off the defensive alignment, too, to me. They kind of, they're kind of connected in my mind. Yeah. You averaged 2.2 threes in your career. <laughs> Tips. <laughs> what, what would you average now? Like, would you, would, yeah. you fall, would you be the guy who goes out here and takes eight to ten threes, or would you take advantage of the mid-range? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> nah, 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 I would, I would, nah, both. But, again, and you know, back – first of all, we put, I was brought up without a three-point yeah, line. Yeah. Grade school, high school, college, no three-point line. So the, the, the right. offensive strategy was different. No shot clock. So you're talking about almost a different sport. Right. Um, so no shot clock, no three-point line. You, you're going to get the shot you want. Right. So that means running three different sets. We're going to get the shot that we want to take. We're going to make you chase us around until we get the shot. Or at the very least, we're getting fouled. Getting fouled is as big a weapon than anything. Drawing Absolutely. fouls to, to get to the free throw line and put a good player on the bench. That and was always up, emphasized. Set up your defense at the other draw end. Draw fouls. Draw fouls. Draw fouls. That was, that was the most effective offensive play. Um, obviously, with the ABA, that was where the three-point shot originated. Yeah. I find it, I find it kind of comical that the NBA bad mouth for all those years, and now yeah. the, M- the NBA all makes years, years, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, and the balance of scoring it was always inside out, you know, 
make the defense collapse. And then, and, and the other thing too is shoot open shots. You know, not not closer shots. It's not necessarily good to get closer to the basket. Right. Shoot open shots. And Mark, you might you brought up Mark. If that's a fifteen foot open shot because they took away a three, that's the shot you take. I'm not. Right. I understand. You know, believe it or not, you know. I went to St. John's, but I did know that three was more than two. We actually <laughs> didn't know that back in the day. <laughs> but we also knew uh, one's more than zero. Right. <laughs> so, you know, ask the Houston Rockets. 0 for 27 doesn't help you from the three-point line. It does not. If you mixed in like a layup or a free throw there, you might have been okay. You might have won the game. So, yep. again, the balance of shooting open shots, and then how do you create those shots? Ball movement, screening, timing you know, mixing some transition baskets. So, you know, as the game changes, fundamentally, a lot of the same things are, are the things that help you win. And the things if you, if you don't rebound, you know, if you, if you turn the ball over, if you have defensive lapses where you give wide open looks uh, during the course of the game, that's what's going to get you beat. Now, it may look different because as opposed to, like you said, as opposed to maybe 10 threes a game, now we have 40. Right. But you still got to generate high quality shots to be able to make them. Molly, I, I wanted to ask you about um, Clay Thompson. Marcus wrote this great perceptive column, as usual, about how, you know, Clay is is still a very valuable player. He just has to be a different player at this stage of his career. And I never understand, and I can't, and none of us can understand what it is like to be truly great at something. And then as you get older, your, your things start to be taken away from you physically. Mm -hmm. And what it is like for a great player, not, not a normal, okay rotation guy, but a superstar a player Hall of Famer, to yeah. have to kind of accept, yeah, a Hall of Famer that I can't. I can't do this anymore. The things that I, the things that make me a Hall of Famer, I can't do them anymore. And how do you, how do you reconcile that in your own mind to go, okay, but I can. There's still things I can do to be a productive player, to be a good rotation guy, to help this team win. Yeah, that's um, the funny thing about that, Marcus and David, is we all go through it, right? Everyone goes through it, yeah. and it's tough. Everything. It's never easy. There's no exact um, handbook or blueprint on how to do it. Yeah. But speaking specifically to Clay Thompson, the, the, the trick with Clay is he's still, to me, above average mm -hmm. within this league. Within this league. Right. Um, he's averaging 17 a game. He's shooting 37% from the three point line. Some of his efficiency numbers are a little down over his career. He plays a 19 point per game. Career score. He's at 17. He's a 40, you know, something from 41 from the three. He's at 37. Yeah. He's a, he's a um, effective field goal percentage. He's at 54. He's at 50. His numbers are down a little bit. And to me, especially this season, there's a very good reason for it. Not excuse. There's a reason for it. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of juggling of the lineup. You know, they're just starting to figure it out now. So those yeah, efficiency right. numbers are pretty – most, I tell you what, twenty nine teams would love to have him. <laughs> so, right, right. but, but, but with the guy, and, and the key is what you guys just said. We're talking about Clay Thompson, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about a guy, one of the all time great first two ballot. guards, first ballot. So, right? yeah. so 
that's a different when you when you reach the heights that Clay has, that's always going to be in people's minds the expectation that's going to be compared to. Now, all great players, everybody, even right now, whether it be LeBron, Steph, yeah, they they're not what they were, right? Because they're great, but it's disrespectful if you say. 10 years, they're the same as they were 10 years ago. Right. That's dis- right. disrespectful to what they were 10 years ago. Now, they're still right. amazing, but they're not the same. You know, so, and, and with Clay, look, he's played his, most of his entire career has been about timing screening. Look, think of his incredible games where he had 60 on 11 dribbles. Right, right, right. That's, that's, that's a lot of teamwork and timing, which is not there for him. Um, so there, I mean, it's a tough transit. Everyone goes through it, you know. But I, I just think, if you like, and I think what you guys said is is so on point. When you when you're so great, that's what people compare it to. Yeah. But I don't think anyone would trade in those great great years to have say stay in the middle, and then when you you know towards the end of your career, you're still in the middle, so you you didn't change much, right? So the, right, right. When you reach yeah. great heights, you're gonna at some point you're gonna fall down farther. But I, I I watch Clay's I watch them every night. He's still a really good player. When when he when they get him open, he's knocking down shots. He, he had a big game win this year against Sacramento. He had a huge three point shot to put it into overtime off a flash screen. So to me, it's as much get, getting their timing back and getting him open looks. And look, he's probably not going to get as many, and his numbers won't be there. But his numbers have not dropped off that much if you really look at them. If you look at where he was career wise and where he is now. It's not that different. I find a little, I mean, it annoys me a little bit that they kind of, he becomes the focal point. I don't know mm-hmm. why that is. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's been a lot of things that have led to their inconsistencies this year. Clay Thompson's not at the top of the list in my mind. Mully, you are 31, I think, when you went to Indiana. You played 82 games. 82 games, yeah. 31. I wish I was 31. I was 34 or 5. <laughs> uh, what, 82. Where do you stand on 82. this uh, Everybody load management? And players taking games off at 65 minimum. Uh, I mean, you did have games where you missed a lot of seasons. You know, you battled injuries and all that. But where do you stand on, like, players resting in a sense? Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Yeah, when I miss games, I have surgeries. So you have surgeries, you don't play. 
Right, that that's it is what it is. Um, the man was the under the, under the knife, Marcus. Right. That's, why, that's knife. why I didn't play yeah. because he's being operated on right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, look, I think Joe Dumas, uh, the head of of basketball ops with the league office, has been really clear um, explaining it. The fact that the topic came up, that was the first problem, right? So um, it, was, it was a topic of discussion. And to, you know, maybe help people get back to an expectation of an 82-game schedule. That's what's expected. Now, that doesn't mean people are not going to get hurt. And that's why there's performance staffs. And look, this this is the age of player empowerment. In a lot of areas, these players pick where they play, who coaches them, who's on the roster, right? That's part of player... And then if you can do all that, you can decide whether you should play or not, right? Yes. But from, from, a, from a public uh, perception, it's an 82-game schedule. You should be try to expected to play 82 games. You know, the league has done a good job, I think, of spreading the schedule out. There's more days off. Um, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I was listening to, to Bill Bradley recently, and that's not really – pressure from a performance standpoint you should feel a responsibility to your teammates yep. to walk in that locker room we talked earlier about being respected how do you gain that respect showing up every day you know what's leadership leadership is to me after a tough loss and you play like shit that you're the first guy in the gym the next day yep. that's leadership not <laughs> not you know quotes and cursing someone out. Nah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here working. I'm, yeah. I missed 10 shots last night. I'm making a thousand of them today. Because God, let me tell you something. They leave me open again. I'm knocking that shit down. So that, yeah. that, that's kind of the mindset that Joe Dumas grew up in. Uh, the 65 game rule, I think, you know, I think it's fair. Again, I don't think that was put out there to put pressure on people. Right. You know, obviously, you know, Marcus, you know, uh, Embiid was hurt. The Warrior game. Look, the, the guys, I don't think the awards, uh, you know, the all-NBA stuff, I know there's a lot of money tied to it, mm-hmm. which I think should be taken out. I don't agree with that. I don't yeah. think, you know, like the kid um, Halliburton, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's signed for $206 million, But if he makes all-NBA, he gets another 40 or $50 million. That That, to me, is not really cool. You know, either mm-hmm. give them half of that money or because then that's, that's pressure, financial pressure. That's not from the league. And then who, who's, who's um, picking those things? It, it just, it seems yeah. a little convoluted. You know, yeah. we joke around and, uh, you know, and the all-star selectors, right? I mean, you know, kind of jokingly, but not. It's like some of these guys are making 40 million, but they got a million bonus to make the all-star team. I'm like, yo. <laughs> For forty million, can I get an all star? Right. Oh, I got to pay a little one more, one million more. I get an all star. <laughs> but again, look, and we all we all know. Did you mention NBA is renegotiating streaming rights and right? These these different entities want to know that people are playing. Like right. we want games that yeah. the actual stars are playing. So I think it, over time, it's not going to be a big deal. It might yeah. be a little bit of something to talk about. Um, but I would say 
the players that are arguing about it, I, I, I don't think that's a good look. Like, yeah, eighty-two game schedule, and you're making me play sixty-five. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what do you want? Fifty-nine, right? Fifty. 57 and a half. <laughs> it's kind of a baseline to get back to an 82 game expectation yeah. level. Yeah. So, and uh, everybody and back look, in the day played if you could play. Like it was it wasn't like oh the good teams they all played. No, I covered a team for 5 years that sucked. And Daryl Walker played 82 games every year. Just mm-hmm. cuz that's what was expected of you. <laughs> You're supposed but to then, play. <laughs> but then, you know, and then you talk about too, you know, like I'll just I'll reference staff. Like the most beautiful thing is seeing a guy enjoy playing. Like you can't do without it. Like that's right. what I do. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not mapping my days off. Matter of fact, on my days off, I'm actually getting a pickup game. Right. You're playing that's, somewhere. That's that's right. irreplaceable. You know, yeah. that's irreplaceable. Um, and that's still there. I think, look, I think it got a little disjointed with, you know, you, of course, especially when the players get older, you, you can have a great regular season, have your best guy injured, like say Philly, and now it's all down the drain. Right. But there's also a balance between, you know, practicing enough, being sharp, rest, rust, all those things come into play. And then the, the, the sad fact is there's always going to be injuries. Now, injuries are separate than being hurt. So yeah. I, I just think Joe Dumas explained it well. I think it's well-intentioned. And over time, it's going to help the league in the long run. Molly, I think the Warriors have started to play a little better of late. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wonder what you, what you see there um, with them coming into the All-Star break. It looks like they have figured out a way. I mean, Draymond being back obviously fixes a lot of stuff. But having being able to play Wiggins and Kaminga together now, it seems like it's starting. To, they're starting to figure out how to make that work. What do you see? Yeah, I mean they come up for four and one road trip, and uh, yeah, I think they're they're getting themselves situated first, right? They had a few, you know, I wouldn't say easy game. And B was out, so you know, it's, look, all these games are wins are wins for them, but they're, they're starting right. to play better. When I watch them play, it's more like the, how they're playing, the style. Is it a winning style? Uh, th- does the offense and defense make sense? Is it connected? You mentioned to the starting lineup. Uh, look, if you have Steph play Draymond, that's 15, 13, 12 years in the league. It right. makes sense to surround them with athleticism, youth, and different skills than they have. Yeah. So Kaminga, Wiggins, you know, they're both guys that can guard their man one-on-one. So it's yeah. less blow-bys on defense, less full rotations. Uh, when they're able to do that defensively, Draymond can kind of be the communicator, get things situated. Steph and Clay can be high-level team defenders. Offensively dynamic. You got the spacing. You know, the, the defense is not – they're not leaving Steph or Clay at all. So those lanes are wide open. Yep. I mean, Kaming is getting to the rim like crazy. Wiggins has shown much more uh, bounce and he looks fresh and looks energized. And then Draymond's directing things both on offense and defense. So the starting line looks like that's the way to go. And then when you have that situated, all of a sudden the bench can start getting themselves situated. Pajemski's played really well, much better than I think anyone could imagine. Yes. Sarge has been good. Chris Paul will be coming back. So they got a deep group. But the problem in the first half of the season – between injuries, Draymond's suspension, 
the starting five and the bench was disheveled. They had no consistency, no rhythm, right. no flow, both offensively and defensively. They're starting to find that. Next step, this next week before All-Star break, is a big step for them. Right. Because they, they, they're basically, I think they're 15-3 and three against teams under 500. Really have struggled against teams, playoff teams. They got Phoenix tomorrow. They got uh, two games with Utah, who they're tied with in, in, the, in the box right now at 10th. And they play the Clippers. So this next five games before um, – was it four games? Four games before the All-Star break will we'll say a lot. But they're yeah. playing much better. And, you, and look, you got to get your own team situated first before mm-hmm. you start start judging. But this is a good road trip for them. Uh, Steph had a huge game out of 60 against Atlanta, although they right. lost in overtime. He had 42 last night in Indiana. So he's playing as, as good as ever. Um but getting good contributions from the young Kamingas really come on, man. He's Coming. playing great. Yep. Yep. Play great bas- playing great basketball, exactly what they need. Um, so we've seen what this team can do. Obviously, a few years ago, 2022, they won a championship, basically the same group. The good thing is you know what that could look like. The challenge is other teams have gotten better, mm-hmm. right? So the Den- we've got to put a Denver in the, in the conversation. I, think the Cl- I would say Denver the Clippers. You know, the, those two teams, to me, Yep. are probably the favorites in the West. But in a seven-game series, the Warriors are as equipped as anybody to battle. Sure. Because of the, you know, Days off. First of, all, first of all, because of Steph. Yep. And I think now they're figuring out how to unleash those young guys around them. There was a little bit of disconnect. It seemed like there was almost mockers. You watched them like I do. See, there was two different teams. Oh, yeah. You had the veterans oh, – yeah. And then the and then the young guys and they actually weren't even playing together and that in itself caused a disconnect, which is kind yeah. of strange. Now the you know things happen and you know with the injuries and suspensions, all of a sudden that may have initiated it and almost um, made it necessary to put these young guys and rely on them. Not only from a strategic standpoint, but I feel like now. The veterans are actually seeing the benefit of that. Like, oh, actually, we actually need this. This is going to work. This is going to help my career. This is going to help us win games. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, so to, to me, the, the biggest difference has been Wiggins, really. You know, we talk about Clay. Wiggins' numbers have been off way more than Clay's have. Yep. For whatever oh, reason. Yeah. You know, he's an he's a 18, 19 point per game score. He's at 12. Efficiency numbers down. Just his overall activity was down. Right. He looks like the Andrew Wiggins we, we you know, used to see him. Uh, throughout his career, so that's the key. Um, but again, that's that's a nice starting five, and then all of a sudden that's you got a sol- solid veteran bench. And like I said, I think Pajemski's been the surprise. He's played really well off that bench. He gives them a tough defender. He's scrappy on the rebounds, and he's getting into the paint. I think that's the key. Look, we got Stephen. Look, we got the three pointers covered. The right. rest of you guys make a conscious effort of attack and the paint. Yeah. The threes will come. They're going to come. We're going to get three. We're going to get if we if we don't try, we're going to get thirty five threes up. So um, they look like they're, they're gaining momentum, getting some traction, mm-hmm. and then, like I said, they're a type team. They just got to get in. Ideally, they not ideally not to play in, but it almost doesn't matter with them. Yeah. Once they get in, once they get in. They can give some teams problems. No, no one wants them in the seven-game series. Right. I would say that. Even, even the top team. The last thing they want right. to see 
is Steph Curry, you know, and and look, and this road trip, like I said, he dropped 60. He, dropped, he could have 50 last night, you know, right. the game got a hand. This guy's still dropping big numbers, man. And 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 some of it's it's unguardable. Like last night, they were guarding him. He mm-hmm. was he started the first quarter, he was six for six. <laughs> right. From three. Right. Some some yeah, were double three, yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, six, six, yeah, six, yeah. some three. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought I didn't have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about Steph Curry, man. Right, 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 right. It goes without saying, right? He is Team a Hall Curry, of baby. Famer. He's a Hall <laughs> of Famer, y'all. Chris Mullen, brother, thank you for joining us, man. This has been great. This has been awesome. Really appreciate David Aldridge, it. David Aldridge, my pleasure, man. It's always good to see you. Marcus Thompson, I will see you. Probably tomorrow. No, I'm in Vegas, right. baby. I'm no, no, you're in Vegas, dude. Oh, he's in Vegas. Oh, you know what? He's okay, Mark. I got some. I got some uh, advice that? for you, dude. Friday night in Vegas. Go get you a San Francisco 49er helmet and be careful out there, brother. <laughs> I'm gonna get me a helmet. Put them thigh pants on, Marcus. Hey. Bang, bang, <laughs> nine gang. Let's go. Give me a steak. That's what I'm gonna get. All right, y'all. Leave that. Leave that five-star review on Apple, on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get this fine American podcast. Marcus, brother, if they can't leave the five stars, what they need to do. Keep it to yourself, you haters. We're going to make you guard Chris Mullen. What you can't do. In the Olympics. (laughs) We'll shoot 75% on your ass. In the Olympics and in the hood. Let's go. 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 (laughs) 